Well, I want to start by asking you, if you wanted to kill a church, how might you go about doing it? Specifically, if you wanted to shut down church by the bridge, how might you do it? You could ban it, I guess, like uh, they effectively have done in China. You can make Christianity illegal in Lavender Bay. Perhaps that'd be a good start. Or or you could employ the strategy of uh, one of the dioceses in the Episcopal Church of America. Do you know what they did to to try and kill a faithful Bible-teaching church? They evicted them from their building. Uh, Pretty bad. But then do you know what they did? They sold their building to the local imam for a fraction of the market value. Incredible, isn't it? How would you kill a church? Um, Over the last few weeks, we've seen that to kill a church, you need to silence a church. You need to stop a church from speaking about the great gospel, the great news of Jesus. And over the last couple of weeks, we've seen two assassination attempts uh, at this early, this first early church in Jerusalem. So in Acts 4, we saw an attempt by the, Jewish relig- re- by the Jewish religious leaders to lock up, kill, and silence the apostles, the, the leaders of this young church. And in Acts 5 last week, uh, we saw Satan attempt to bring down the church uh, through the tactic of hypocrisy and scandal. Well, tonight in chapter 6, you might have picked it up as it was read, we get a, a third attempt to silence the preachers of this church and silence the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, um, despite these three attempts, you might have noticed that the church in Jerusalem just keeps growing. In chapter 1, there were just 12 blokes. Uh, by uh, chapter 2, we are told there are 3,000 disciples in this church. In chapter 5, there are 5,000 disciples, plus women and children. And then in chapter 6, did you notice that in verses 1 and verses 7, we're told that that number is multiplying. So there's at least 10,000 disciples. This church is growing exponentially. We know that, that church that got turned into a mosque, guess what happened to it? It's growing. They moved into a school and it's growing really fast. The the preachers keep preaching the words. The gospel keeps going out and it's growing. In China, there is apparently, the estimated, uh, double the amount of Christians in China than there are members of the Communist Party. 200 million Christians estimated in China. See, we learn from Acts that Jesus has gone up to heaven. His spirit has come down to earth. The gospel of Jesus is being preached. And the ascended Jesus is building his church. The church is growing. Worldwide, the church is growing. You might look around at Sydney and think, oh, it's a bit stagnant. But globally, the church is growing. And that's exciting, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that growth. I want to see that kind of growth happening in this place. I want to see these pews filled. I want to see us need to extend the building, put on new services because we have so many disciples, people becoming disciples as the gospel is preached. Ten years ago, apparently we had 10 or 12 members. Ten years later, we've got 650 members, 500 adults. 
150 kids. Uh, but we, as Church by the Bridge, Bridge, have kind of plateaued, haven't we? I think that's right, Stu, we sort of plateaued. Uh, 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 now, I know it's uh, not all about numbers, but Luke, if you noticed, he's top and tailed this third threat uh, with a progress report that the disciples are multiplying. And he sandwiched it so that we would take notice of this threat, so that we as church by the bridge uh, would take notice and see this threat as a present and real danger. It it really is the the climax of of this section, but it's also uh, quite dull and boring. Did you see how normal it is, how uh, there are lots of church meetings and uh, practical things that needed taken care of? So, but it is a real threat. So um, let's get into the text and we'll look at it under the three sections, uh, the way that Luke sort of breaks it down. We'll look at it under the heading, the threat, the strategy and the outcome. So firstly, the threat. And the threat we see is disunity and distraction. Verse one. In those days, as the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Now this uh, crisis has occurred between the the, the Hellenists are being discriminated over the Hebraic Jews. Uh, These are two sets of Jewish Christians. One spoke Greek. Uh, One spoke Hebrew, Uh, one group was from out of town, one group were locals, a bit like the lower North Shore versus the eastern suburbs and all those different cliques that you guys uh, like to get into. Uh, You see, um, uh, um, what's happening here is that these these Hellenist Jews, they are returning from being in exile, so... Uh, uh, they are coming back to Jerusalem, probably to die in Jerusalem, and the widows are being overlooked in the daily distributions. Uh, we've heard that Christians are selling their stuff. We, we, uh, we're told in Acts 4 that there is no needy person among them. And the widows, they are the most socially and economically dependent group out of all these Christians. And so they're probably in this daily distribution. We don't get much detail, but they're probably receiving food. Uh, They're probably receiving money and uh, the things that they need to get by proceeds from other Christians selling their stuff uh, to look after those in need. That might seem minor. It might seem a little a minor scuffle, but it is a major threat to the unity of the church. As the gospel goes out and is making disciples of all these random groups in Israel, it's uniting. It's uniting the church. Under the gospel. And it's a real threat. I wonder whether you notice just how uh, real life this is as well. There's people complaining. There's serving rosters. There's church meetings. It's pretty much normal church life, isn't it? But the heart of the issue is there in verse 2. Have a look at verse 2 with me. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Other uh, translations say to, to wait on tables. It's interesting, isn't it? At the, at the kind of the, this, um, the, the, the growth of the church was actually causing the problem. See, there's no threat of imprisonment here. 
there's just the threat of distraction from gospel preaching and prayer. Uh, this ministry probably started small. You know, there was, there was uh, 12 of us, then there was a few more. And uh, as people sold their stuff, uh, the apostles were giving it out. So it was a small ministry. But then it grew big. And it grew complex, and it grew resource-heavy, and it demanded uh, people, uh, it demanded more and more time of the apostles. And the problem is, is that it's pulling away the, the apostles from this core ministry of preaching the gospel and prayer. We need to get that, because it's really important. Uh, I was reading a, a blog this week, and uh, the title was How to Kill Your Church in Ten Easy Steps. Now, I won't read all of them, but verse four was, was this. Find fault with everything or everyone in your church. For, uh, step five was never accept a leadership role or responsibility. And uh, step eight was do nothing more than absolutely necessary. You see that the threat here is not active oppression or opposition. Uh, this uh, is passive neglect. That the, the apostles are choosing, uh, being forced to choose between the good and the best. Looking after the poor and needy amongst that early Christian church versus preaching the gospel and praying for the gospel to take root. Now, if I neglect uh, my garden, weeds grow up. Uh, it's pretty neglected at the minute, and I needed to spend a couple of days uh, the other week uh, sorting it out. We had an inspection, but it didn't really matter. It didn't really matter. I probably would have lose my, lost my bond had I not taken care of it. It didn't really matter. But if I neglect my marriage, now that matters, doesn't it? And if we neglect this place, that matters. If we neglect the ministry of preaching and prayer, that's serious. I wonder whether too often we, I was thinking about this, I wonder whether too often we put church in the gardening bucket rather than in the, the marriage and family bucket. That we think, oh, it doesn't really matter if I do X, Y, and Z uh, when church is on. It, it doesn't really matter if I send a text last minute to cancel my roster. This passage tells us that it does matter. It's really, really important. Passive neglect has been put here so that our church would keep growing, so that we would be warned uh, not to get, neglect the, preach, the ministry of preaching and prayer. Uh, church by the Bridge has seen some phenomenal growth over the past 10 years, but it has become a complex beast, hasn't it? Uh, we've got six congregations. There's loads of amazing ministries. We've got Green, the ministry at Greenway. We've got Playgroup. We've got Hive. Uh, we've got loads of different things, more than, more than I can think of. But the challenge from this passage is not to let the growth and complexity, not to let it annoy us, not to let it disunite us, which it so easily could do, not and most importantly, not let it distract us from the core business of ministry of word and prayer. I've only been here on staff just over a year. I haven't heard about arguments that have taken place over the years during growth. I haven't heard about these complaints that, that we get here. But I'm sure they've happened. I'm sure they've happened. I'm sure they are happening now. 
It's easy to, to neglect, to passively neglect the core business of ministry of work and prayer. I wonder how often you think about the health of this core business of preaching the gospel and praying for it to go out. I know often I uh, will think about myself. I'll think about how well am I doing as a Christian? How much is the church giving to me? Well, we need to be thinking and praying that we would keep the core business the core business. That we would not choose the good over the best. Because if we choose the good over the best, then we'll only go downhill. We'll only reduce and reduce in size. I know that myself, there are lots of things that distract me. I've been keeping a timesheet and there are lots of things that aren't preaching and prayer. There's lots of things I have to do. There are lots of things I don't like doing. If anyone wants to do my admin for me, you're very welcome to do that. There's lots of things I don't like doing, like my email and sorting out volunteers and that kind of thing. But the danger of distraction doesn't come from the things that I'd rather not do. It comes from the stuff that I love. I used to work in a creative industry, so I love doing creative work. I love problem solving. I love helping out the team. I love seeing someone in need and wanting to run to them. But this passage says to me, now you, Andy, need to keep the core business of preaching and prayer. Otherwise, the church will suffer. Now, I know that we have got Alvanto, and Alvanto is the silver bullet for all our rostering needs. He almost runs the church, I think. really does. You just push a button and everything happens. Uh, that Alvanto signifies the, 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 the outsource culture that we have here in the Lower North Shore as well. We've got this outsource culture where we can pay someone to walk our dog, uh, clean our barbecue, clean our dog, and clean our house. And, and we can get into this mindset that, uh, of outsourcing church. So I'll put my money in the plate, and therefore everything around the church is Andy's job, it's Stu's job, it's Dan's job, it's Paul's job. Well, what a sad state it would be if we let that outsource culture in fact, the way that we do church. In fact, the way that we are God's family here on earth. Let's try and lose that mindset, outsource mindset, can we? Let's not neglect the best for the good. Let's keep the core business, the core business of preaching the gospel and prayer. Because when we do, amazing things happen. Well, uh, let's look at the strategy next. It's interesting how they deal with this, uh, this problem. Uh, notice that there is no rebuke. Uh, notice that there is no repentance in this. It's just an issue that happens. It's an issue that, deals, that is dealt with. So let's look at the strategy. And the strategy that they employ is delegation and dedication. That's uh, verses 3 to 6. Have a look with me at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and wisdom we can appoint to this duty. Uh, just notice the criteria for selecting. Uh, there were seven of them. They've, uh, they, they select from you seven. I assume that's one for every day of the week. They are to be of good reputation, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom. Uh, this is what the church needs. This is what we need. People of good character. 
full of the Spirit, gripped uh, by the gospel and wise in how they do it. It's not a a gender-specific role. Some people have used this text to argue that it's it's gender-specific. It's about character, not gender. Uh, Just notice who selects these seven. It's the multitude of disciples. The apostles didn't have to phone around and say, who's up for doing this? Uh, They didn't have to send out a woo-foo form or make an announcement in church. They just... Uh, said a point for yourself, put a point seven people to do this duty. And the multitude decide. Did you notice that they just agree? Uh, amongst 10,000 plus Christians, they just agree. It's brilliant, isn't it? Uh, how many people did we get at our AGM stew? 40 or so? Yeah. We had to scrabble around trying to get, trying to get people for key jobs in our church. Here the apostles throw it out to the multitude and they just decide and they're all united and they all agree. So that, verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. See, this multitude, uh, they're enthusiastic. They want to see the word of God go out. They want to see the church keep on growing. They're not going to let anything hinder this uh, uh, roster of of feeding people and sorting out people's needs. They're not going to let that get in the way of the gospel being preached and and praying to God that he would do his thing through it. This uh, criteria feels slightly over the top, doesn't it? Uh, for selecting just some people to wait on tables or dish some stuff out. And it is over the top, really. But it's not just any work. We need to remember that this is gospel work. Our uh, translation doesn't really uh, do us any favours in seeing that these jobs, that the the, the job of the duty of um, handing out the daily distribution and the ministry of preaching and prayer. They're actually the same words. Uh, Deaconos is where we get the word from deacon. So they say, uh, let, our, let, let us appoint seven men so that they may deacon, so that we may deacon. Uh, whilst uh, preaching, the, 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 the ministry of uh, preaching and prayer is to take priority. What we need to see here is that these two jobs are of equal importance. The church kind of morphs and adapts to, uh, to, to, to appoint this structure and, uh, uh, so that the apostles can devote themselves to the ministry of work and prayer. Uh, but both are crucial. Both these deaconing of tables and deaconing of word of prayer are crucial to the proclamation and the work of the gospel. Uh, I wonder whether you noticed that, uh, that Stephen and Philip, who were both chosen amongst the seven, they go on chapters later to preach two of the best sermons in the New Testament. So it's not just that, uh, that waiting on tables means that you're always waiting on tables and, or, and that you've outsourced the preaching to someone else. No, he's saying here, we're all in this gospel work together and we all need to be focused, doing our part so that the gospel will go out and God will do his work by his spirit. I'm very thankful for a number of things, uh, the way that the church is set up here. I'm thankful for my stipend, uh, which means that I don't have to go and pollute the internet with my advertising 
to feed my kids. Um, the, 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 the theory behind stipend is that it is an allowance so that I don't have to go out to work. I'm thankful for Robin and Stu and Liz in the office who saved me from Excel Hell and saved me from doing a lot of work that will keep me away from the Bible and keep me away from doing word ministry. Uh, I noticed that as I came here tonight, I didn't have to switch the lights on. I didn't have to put the sound on. We didn't, I didn't have to scrabble around to, 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 to try and play the piano and so that we could sing a few songs. We've got a good team here working together so that the gospel will be preached, so that we can spend time studying Acts 6. I know there are a lot of people that do a lot of things. I wanted just to ask Julian, just to stand up. Julian, tell us, what, what do you do around the place? You're a, a busy bee. You're always kind of around the place. Whenever I come to church, you're here. Uh, tell us, what do you do briefly, and why do you do it? Thanks, Julian. Uh, you, I want to thank you. You, you, you great encouragement. And, uh, um, but we see how this, how Acts 6 kind of is in place in our church. We need deacons to do the table, the table serving work. We need deacons to do the ministry of the word and prayer so that we can be a united gospel team and see the gospel go out. I, I want to encourage you just to Rather than just to uh, do your duty when the Alvanto um, email comes in, I want to encourage you to be thinking, how can I, with the time that I have and with the gifts that God has given me and the person he's made me, how can I maximize the gospel proclamation in this place? We're all in it together. We're all doing this. Uh, And it might be that you are somebody who is a, a table waiter at this point, but in time we'll be preaching some of the best sermons that are ever preached here in um, a church by the bridge lavender bay be asking is this my ministry as well don't just settle for outsourcing the work don't just settle for ticking the box and doing my duty ask how can i maximize the proclamation of the gospel well all of this would be a waste of time if it were not for the outcome and that's our third point that the outcome is defections and disciples. I want us just to look at at what happened as this new system was put in place. Look with me at verse 7. So the preaching about God flourished, and the number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Because, verse 7, they delegate and dedicate themselves to the preaching uh, of the word, the word of God flourished. Because the word of God flourished, the number of disciples multiplied. As spirit-filled people worked together to proclaim the life-giving gospel news of Jesus. It's amazing what happens 
when the gospel is preached. We had Isaiah 55 uh, read as our first Bible reading. It's one of my favourite chapters in the Bible. Uh, And the bit that's my favourite is is it describes the word of God coming into the world, being poured onto the, the world like rain onto the earth. Now, what comes up when... What comes up from the ground when rain comes down? Weeds, right? I know about weeds. Uh, But just listen to what happens when the word of the Lord falls on the earth like rain. Just listen to this. Isaiah 55 verse 13. Instead of the thorn bush, a cypress will come up. And instead of the briar, a myrtle will come up. See, instead of weeds... Beautiful flowers come up. What that means is that the word of God has the ability to transform the spiritual DNA of weeds, of thorn bushes, of enemies of God. That's just what's happening here in Acts 6 and 7. Did you see that? Uh, did you see who w- were becoming disciples? Just look at Acts 6, verses, um, Acts 6 verse 7. We're told that a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Who were the priests in Acts? They were the people that tried to to bang up uh, uh, Peter and John. Who were the the priests in Luke's gospel? Well, they were the people who sent Jesus to the cross. And look what they've become as the word of God is preached. They've become disciples of of Jesus, God's enemies turned into followers and friends of God. This is what happens when the word of God is preached, when the gospel is preached. It falls on the earth like rain and the word of God changes the spiritual DNA of enemies, of people who would kill the creator of the universe and makes them friends. And that's amazing, isn't it? Just through the boring old preaching of the word. You see, the temptation is that we will uh, think that we need to go on to something better, that we need to try and attract people to the word or attract people to church so we can somehow sell Christianity to them. I heard of a church in the UK who who give out champagne during communion. I heard of a church in New York who give out $10 bills to kids just so that they'll come to youth group. There's no preaching of the word there. They have a crowd, but they don't have disciples. But when the word of God is preached, when the gospel reigns on the earth, amazing things happen. Thorn bushes turn into cypresses. Briars turn into myrtles. They are posh, amazing, beautiful trees instead of ugly things. Miraculous. Now imagine, I want you to imagine with me, just the, the person who you would least expect to become a Christian. Just imagine, picture them. Now imagine the word of God raining on them, transforming them from an enemy to a friend. Transforming them from a, a, a stranger to a child. Transporting them from hell to the new creation. That's what the word of God does. And it's amazing. How do you kill a church? 
We do it by causing disunity and distracting the preachers from the preaching and from praying. There's plenty of churches around where the the, the sound of morning teas and village fates have replaced the sound of gospel preaching. How do you stop the mission of God? Well, you can't. You can't stop the mission of God because God has a plan to unite all things under Jesus and that is unstoppable. So let's not fight against it as a church. Let's not be guilty of passive neglect of this church. Let's keep going. Let's turn up the volume. Let's keep going and be focused on the, 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 ministry, of the, word, the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. With all that God has given us, the people that God has made us, to his praise and glory.